This morning we make our way into 1 Corinthians chapter 9, and Paul seems to divert here. Um, if we're reading along, if we're reading 8, 9, and 10, um, it would seem like Paul hangs a quick left on us in in chapter 9 and then comes back to the path in, in chapter 10, because you'll remember that in chapter 8, Paul was dealing with the issue of how we love one another, how we, um, how we handle uh, our Christian liberty, freedoms that we have. Do we, where he was raising questions, do we eat meat in, the, in an idol's temple? Um, do we eat meat sacrificed to idols? And again, he's going to come back to that in chapter 10, but in the meantime, he diverts here in chapter 9 to a question of his apostleship, and then also the rights and privileges that come with being an apostle, a minister of the gospel. And Mark read the text for us this morning, so I will not reread it. But Paul deals right off the bat, and you'll, and you, you'll hear, uh, so our text this morning is chapter 9, verses 1 through 18. And really, this section of scripture is characterized by questions. I mean, it is a series of of questions uh, that he asks. And Paul's been doing this all through the book. If we're tracking along, he keeps saying, don't you know? <laughs> don't you know? Um, and and using uh, that Socratic uh, device of, of asking rhetorical questions to prompt and stimulate thought so that his audience is tracking with him or having to wrestle with it themselves. Um, here, the whole, it's, it's just a series of questions. Um, that Paul asks, but it begins with this, am I not an apostle? Now, from the beginning, we know that one of the issues with Paul, so Paul, when he's dealing with the Corinthians, is dealing with a whole host of, like, issues. There are all these little particular issues, these mosquitoes flying around that have to be dealt with, and we've heard a lot of them to this point. But there's also an underlying problem in Corinth. And the underlying problem in Corinth is they question Paul's authority. They're not sure he's really an apostle because, again, there are these groups of people, these quote-unquote super apostles, and you get you hear more about them directly in 2 Corinthians, but there's these quote-unquote super apostles that are traveling around claiming to be true apostles and really questioning Paul. Again, Paul just at first glance, doesn't seem very impressive. He's, 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 he's not of great stature. He's apparently, though he's an amazing writer, uh, maybe not so great with his speech. Uh, he's beaten and broken. I mean, the man's body is just, you know, a mess from the beatings that he had received, spending time in prison. He's holding down another job while he's traveling around. I mean, you know, the, the, the great teachers don't do that. <laughs> the great teachers have students and they kind of get their pay because of their rhetoric. They get they they make money because their 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 intellect and you pay them for their teaching. You know, that's what the great te- that's what in the in the Greco-Roman world, that's what the great teachers do. But but Paul's not doing that. Paul is actually take he travels around and takes another job. He's he's a leather worker, he's a tent maker. And so he he comes into Corinth and he's and he's teaching there, and, and he's holding down another job at the same time because he, he's doing some teaching, but then he's got to bolt out because he's got to get back to work where he's making tents. 
not very impressive in the Greco-Roman world. Now, the Corinthians were initially attracted to him. They, they heard his teaching, praise God, a, a, a church is planted here. But as Paul has moved on and then these other, you know, more elite teachers come in with a little more polish to them, uh, make their way in, they start looking back at Paul and wondering whether he was the real deal. And maybe he was kind of to get the thing started, but he's not the guy we got to listen to anymore. Look at these guys. And so they're beginning to listen to them and question Paul. That's part of what's going on in this text. It's at least in part where this question comes from. Am I not an apostle? And he's going to defend his apostleship to some degree. And you 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 hear the, the defense that he gives right there. Am I not apostle? Am I not free? Have I not seen Jesus Christ? Are you not my work in the Lord? So verse one, four questions. But I am an apostle, okay? I, I have been appointed by the Lord himself. I, again, here is one of the qualifications of being an apostle is that you were commissioned directly by the risen Lord Jesus Christ. And, and say what you will about these other characters, that is true of me, Paul's saying. I, I am an apostle. I was commissioned by the Lord Jesus Christ himself. I've seen the Lord. And you are the fruit of my labors. You... Corinthians are, are the evidence of my apostleship. And again, think of the fact that this church is just brought by the power of the Spirit in Corinth of all places, but in this Greco-Roman world where Paul says, I endeavored to preach nothing to you but Christ and him crucified. It's not a really popular message in the Greco-Roman world. Yet, the sign of his apostleship is that when he sowed seed, life came forth. You, are the fruit of, or the sign, if you will, the evidence of my apostleship. And that's what the, as the, you read through Acts, and we preach through Acts, you know, you go back and look at Acts, and when the apostles would do their miracles, these were signs. They were signs that, that the words of this man are authentic from God. And Paul's saying, I don't just need to do miracles to do this. You, <laughs> frankly, are a miracle. This church, the fact that there's a church here in Corinth of all places is a sign of my apostleship. So Paul is talking about his apostleship and he is he is defending it. But then he's going to launch off in a series of questions about his pay. He's now going to launch off into the rights and the privileges of what it means to be an apostle and question what he has received and question how they view an apostle and, and, and the preachers of the gospel and so forth. So if I am not an apostle like the others, yet doubtless I am to you. Again, I'm your apostle, for you are the seal of my apostleship. My defense to those who examine me is this. Do we have no right to eat and drink? Do we have no right to take along a believing wife as do also other apostles, the brothers of the Lord, of the Lord and Cephas? Or if it is only Barnabas and I who have no right to refrain from working. So he he's speaking now about the fact that, hey, as we travel around, don't we have a right to be fed? Don't we have a right to make sure that we are taken care of as we go around and do our work? And maybe even bring a wife with us. Apparently, James and John and Peter are doing this. They're traveling on their missionary work. And they're bringing a spouse with them. 
And not only are they being provided for, but their spouse is being provided for. And Paul is asking, Paul is putting out to the Corinthians, do I not have a right to this? Look, look at the other apostles. When they travel around, their needs are provided for, even for the needs of their wives. But Barnabas and I, apparently, are working, right? We, we are not being provided for. We are going out and getting jobs so that we can provide for ourselves. And, and that's what we call it when a, when a minister uh, has a second job. He's a tent maker, right? In some sense, I'm a tent maker because I'm bivocational, right? I'm, I work here at Affirmation, but I also work at Chapel Field. And that's not because, that's not because this church doesn't, wouldn't, pay to keep me sustained or my family, but because I, I have two callings. But but when a pastor, and in a small church like this, and in times where a church cannot afford to pay a pastor, perhaps full-time, they call him a tent maker because he's doing the ministry of the church, but also he's got some other job that is uh, providing for him and his family. And that comes from Paul because that's literally what Paul was, a tent maker. But Paul is saying, but I have a right to it. I have a right to it, but Barnabas and I don't do it. Okay, we're out, we're out working. And then he gives these examples. Now, again, when, when we're hearing this, in part, we have to be thinking, where'd this, where'd this come from? Where'd the, where's this line of reasoning? Because we were just talking about eating meat, sacrificed to idols, eating in the idol's temple, and now here Paul veers off in this, hey, don't I have a right to eat? So he gives these examples. Whoever goes to war, who goes at his own expense? Who plants a vineyard but doesn't eat of the fruit? Who tends a flock but doesn't drink the milk? Do I say these things as a mere man? Like, listen, you know, the, the guy who's tending the vine gets to eat some grapes. Right? The, the, the person who, who, who's shepherding the flock gets to drink some milk from the, from the, from the goats. I mean, that, that's, that's, you live off of what you do. The soldier goes off to war. You, you take care of him. You make sure you give him meals because he's got, he's, we don't want him distracted by figuring out how do I have to go get my food? You want him focused on the war at hand. So here, here's your meals. And he's saying, I'm not just saying this is mere man. Look, it, it, it's in the law. And he cites this, this, uh, this bit from Deuteronomy. As it's written in the law of Moses, you shall not muzzle an ox while it treads out the grain. So the ox is working you let the ox every now and then bend down and eat some of the grain that he's that he's threshing and trampling. You don't you don't muzzle the ox, and then the ox the ox isn't allowed to eat of his labors. And of course, he asks, "Is it oxen that God was concerned about there? Is God is you, hey hey guys? You know that law in Deuteronomy? I don't know if they do in Corinth, but he does ask the kind of rhetorical question again. This just you could count the number of questions here." But do you think it's just God really just had a, a place in his heart for oxen and wanted to make sure that you guys don't muzzle ox? No, the point was there's a principle, and as is the case so often in the in the Old Testament Levitical laws, in the laws in Deuteronomy, uh, that of course he's talking about an oxen, but he's talking about more than oxen. And Paul continues in verse 10, or does he say it altogether for our sakes? For our sakes, no doubt this was written, that he who plows should plow in hope, right? You, you put your shoulder to the plow and you're going to go because you're going to benefit as well from it, right? As you, you do the work and as it starts to grow, you benefit from it, right? I mean, and you can, 
you have this this image is for any boss you know who who hey you 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 encourage your your workers to to put their shoulder to the plow in in whatever business you have um with the idea that hey if the company thrives because of your labor the fruit of that labor comes back to you you know you get bonuses you get you you get pay increases you share in the you share in the life of the company you share in the the fruit of the of the labor. So if you don't do that, then the, the plowman gets sluggish, you know, he's, he, but if he knows, Hey, I, I, I work and I also eat from this. I benefit from this. He plows in hope, just good getting some, uh, some business lessons from, uh, from Paul in, in first Corinthians. And he who threshes in hope that he should be the partaker of this hope. If we have sown spiritual things for you, is it a great thing if we reap your material things? So he flips it around and, and, and says here in the ministry of the gospel is the same thing. Is it not appropriate, Corinthians, that you take care of us while we're doing that, while we're preaching the gospel? So this is the argument Paul is making here. Now, where, where is he going with this? On the one hand, he is emphasizing his apostolic authority. I am an apostle, and as such, there are certain rights and privileges that come with this. And yet, at the same time, and you know how this ends, Paul is going to say, and yet, I am not taking advantage of them. And here we get the reason why, and here I believe also we get the connection back with what he was speaking of in the last chapter. If others are partakers of this right over you, are we not even more? Nevertheless, we have not used this right, but endure all things, lest we hinder the gospel of Christ. And I chose that phrase as the, um, as the sermon title, the hindering of the gospel. Because for Paul, at the end of the day, what mattered to him and the lens through which he viewed his rights and privileges and responsibilities, the lens that brought everything into focus was the gospel. And what was, so his, his greatest joy is the spreading of, the declaration of the gospel, the sharing of the gospel. And you'll hear that, you heard that already, Mark read the entire uh, chapter 9 as our uh, New Testament reading today. And you can hear it in the text we'll look at next week. I have become all things to all people that I might win some. Right? I just, I just want to win people for the gospel. That, that's his positive passion, which then makes his negative concern and fear just the, the opposite side of that coin. My greatest fear, my greatest dread is that I would do anything that would hinder the gospel. And so Paul looks at his own rights and his own privileges and says, the reason I did not take advantage of it, he does not say it's wrong to take advantage of them. Just like he didn't say in the last chapter, it's wrong to eat the meat, right? Nor is he going to say that in 1 Corinthians 10. You have certain privileges and freedoms as a Christian. You have Christian liberty. <coughs> Paul is just looking at this now on the apostolic level and making it personal. Because remember, in the last chapter, he said, hey, if eating meat will cause my brother to fall, I won't eat meat again. He made it personal right at the end of that. Go ahead and eat the meat. Meat is meat. 
A temple is a building. Just because you're in that building doesn't mean you're worshiping demons. Just because you're eating meat doesn't mean you're honoring idols. You might be, so guard your heart. It might be very unwise to eat in that temple building. Guard your heart. Be careful dabbling with demons and dabbling with idols. They're sticky. They're thorny. They get into you like burrs. So be careful. But it's a building. It's meat. However, you're not alone. We're, we're not all individualistic Christians. We're part of a community. We're part of a body. Nothing you do affects only you. Everything you do has ripple effects within the body, and therefore you can't merely just say, well, it's fine for me, so it's not a problem. If that affects you, that's on you. Deal with it. It's not how the body works. We're going to get that when he gets to 1 Corinthians 12. When he uses the image of a body <coughs> and say, how would this work within a body? If the eye said, you know, well, you know, if you're not an eye, I have no use for you. Like, what would happen to the sense of hearing? You know, what, what, you, know you, you slam your, your thumb with a hammer, you know, the ear doesn't say, oh, too bad for you, thumb. <laughs> right? I mean, it's, it's we're, the whole body is dealing with the pain. Right? And so it is within the body of Christ. It's, it, your problem is all of our problems. My problem is all of your problems. It affects the body. And therefore, sure, it's just a building and it's just meat, but you must give attention to what this is doing to the body. Is this bringing life to the body or is this bringing death to the body? And Paul says, if I thought, that eating meat would hinder, if you will, the gospel, the life in my brother. That it would destroy him or her because of their conscience. Then fine, I give up the meat. I have eternity to feast. I don't need to eat meat right now. But I don't want to lose my brother. That matters to me. And so Paul is now, in some sense, take while he is dealing with the underlying problem of his apostleship, and so he takes the opportunity to use an example of himself, but at the same time undergird his authority as an apostle. I am an apostle. I do have certain rights and responsibilities. And as much as the Corinthians don't want to fulfill those, they should be ashamed for Paul. But at the same time, Paul uses it as an opportunity to say, I'm doing the very things I'm charging you to do. I believed, meaning I, Paul, believed that here in Corinth, it would not be wise to take pay. Now, other places he does. Other places they do pay his expenses, and he receives it. But for some, there was something in him that thought in Corinth, bad idea. That if I, and maybe it's this, maybe it's this kind of the, the, whatever's going on underneath the ground. Maybe there was trouble in Corinth. Remember, he said earlier, hey, due to the affliction that's going on right now, uh, maybe it's better you not get married. So maybe there's something going on. Maybe there was economic trouble. And you said, I'm not going to put this burden on the church. I'm not going to do it. I don't know. We don't know what the issue was. But Paul, in his wisdom, and this is what Christian liberty is, and here is Paul taking responsibility for his rights and his privileges, and realizing they're not absolute. It's not, I must always claim them. There are times in which I'm willing to let them go. Why? For the sake of the gospel. 
that's that's for the sake of my brother and for the sake of the gospel. And in this case, lest he hinder the gospel, he let those privileges go. And we talked about this last week, the idea of rights. And this is important for us to remember, again, as a people who live in a rights-based society for whom the, the language of rights is very common and good and good, Because in order to have a flourishing society, we need it. And I should say, we must, and you hear Paul kind of doing this, defend the rights of others. Right? Paul is doing that for the other apostles and so forth, right? He's not saying, and the other apostles should have done this as well. He's not doing that. Right? He's defending the privileges of the apostles, the rights of of the apostles, the responsibility that churches have to care for these guys. But at the same time acknowledging, but I gave mine up. Because I'm doing here in Corinth what I'm commanding you to do and to, to use wisdom in this situation. And so it is true for us. Hey, you ought to be quick to give up your rights. But also quick to defend the rights of others. And you must find it the appropriate times to defend your rights in as much as those rights affect others. Like that's where we have to do it, right? When we feel like there are social implications to these rights, I can give up how it affects me personally. But in terms of a social ethic, in terms of defending the rights of our neighbors, we've got to be adamant about that. So I don't, I, I want to say that because I don't want to talk down the rights language. Rights are beautiful things. Wonderful things, constitutional rights, rights given to us by God, the right to life and liberty and these kinds of things, very important. But in terms of what we claim for ourselves, we got to hold things loosely for the sake of our brothers and for the sake of hindering the gospel or not hindering the gospel. So Paul looks at his privileges and says, this is why I did not do this, because for me, the gospel is preeminent. So he turns right back around and goes back to it again with the questions. Do you not know that those who minister the holy things eat of the things of the temple and those who serve at the altar partake of the offerings of the altar? Even so, the Lord has commanded that those who preach the gospel should live from the gospel. And that's why we pay our pastors to, to do this because we t- they need to go and to preach and do their job. But I have used none of these things, nor have I written these things that it should be done for me. He's saying, I'm, this is not a, a campaign to, to pay me now. Right? Paul said, that's not why I'm writing this. I'm not writing this to, like, to guilt you and say, oh, you should pay me. That's not why I'm doing that. I've written these things, not that it should be done for me, for it would be better for me to die than that anyone should make my boasting void. <laughs> For if I preach the gospel, I have nothing to boast of. For necessity is laid upon me. Yes, woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. So he's saying, look, at the end of the day, I do this not because of money. I don't do it because it's my calling. I have no choice. In fact, if I don't do it, woe to me. I'm damned. Right? I'm, I'm, I'm going to come under the judgment of God because I've been commissioned. When, when, when you're, you, you sign up for the service, and they send you to, to some battle. It's not just, well, you get praise. for it. That's what you signed up for. And you're commissioned to do this task. Now, there are things you can go above and beyond, to be sure. But that's what Paul is saying. All this work I'm doing is just what I've been called to do. However, I have chosen to do it, he says, free of charge. 
free choice. Though I could have had my meals paid. I'm, I want to do it here in Corinth in such a way that it is free of charge. For if I do this willingly, I have no reward. But if against my, I have a reward. But if I do it against my will, I've been entrusted with a stewardship. What is my reward then? That when I preach the gospel, I may present the gospel of Christ without charge, that I may not abuse my authority in the gospel. Now, again, this, I have to confess, this is a, a narrow line of questioning, narrower than we're used to in 1 Corinthians. Paul is dealing with his apostleship, right? It, it could be a sermon on paying your pastor. That's not an issue here at this church. But, but the, the issue I think we, we need to, uh, to the, the point that we need to make and take from this is the link between chapter 8 and chapter 10. And that is to say, what Paul is saying here is a challenge to the Corinthians, even by holding himself up as a model of how we manage privileges and rights. How do we manage privileges versus responsibilities? And what is the filter that we use in making such decisions? And I think the char- I think I think of of a couple things come to my mind. One is Jesus' words in Matthew seven, when he says, "Seek first the kingdom of God, and all these things will be added to you." It's like, why do you worry about this and worry about that? For Paul, I think Paul had eaten that scripture and absorbed it and digested it, and and it had been worked into his bloodstream. Because for Paul, what was governing him was the kingdom. That's, he, Paul did not worry about his food. Paul did not worry about his lodging. Paul trusted that his needs would be taken care of, that God would provide for him. But what mattered to Paul was the kingdom. Now, what's that look like for you? We're not all called to be Paul, but what does it look like for you? I just listened, uh, coming here this morning, I listened to uh, Pastor Kevin's sermon on, uh, he's doing a series on the Lord's Supper. And just the one little phrase he mentioned from John chapter six, when Jesus says to his audience, they're coming, they're coming in there, they're, they want him to, to do signs. And he had just fed the 5,000 and went to the other side of the lake there. And, and they come to him and Jesus says to them, do not labor. They've just come all the way around the lake to find him. And Jesus says to them, do not labor for the bread that perishes, but for the bread that does not perish. And it's, I think to myself, what, what does that mean? Because like, think about what we do our, our, our whole lives are laboring for bread that perishes. I mean, it's, it's like, it's what we do. Every, we get our paycheck, we go buy groceries. You know, it's like we do this to live. And Jesus just says, don't do that. You're like, wait, what? What what am I supposed to do? But I think Paul gets that. And it's not that, oh, we all should do what we do and take no pay. I I don't think that's, I don't think that's what Paul's saying. Because again, other places Paul did. And Paul took pay from the tent maker, right? From that company. I mean, it's not, that's not the issue. It's that Paul in wisdom, in this case, saw not helpful. And you've all been there. You've all done something for somebody where they offered you money and you took it. And there are other times where you've done things for people and they offered you money and you refused to take it. You've all done that. And you determined. You, 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 hey, hey, the, the, the ox is not to be muzzled. 
The workman is worthy of his pay. And so fine, you helped somebody, you helped a person move and carry some things out of the boxes and they threw you a 20 at the end of it and you're like, no, no I'm not taking your money. And you did that, you did what Paul did. Other times you did something for somebody and they, they, they offered you money and you, and you took it and that was appropriate as well. And you used wisdom in those decisions. That's all Paul's doing. But what's governing Paul, and this is where I think where we need to feel the conviction, is not, well, did you take money for the last thing? Are you getting paid at your job? Or, you know, that, that's not the immediate question. The immediate question is what governs us. Are we the kind of people who are seeking first bread that perishes? Or are we those who are seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness? Is what the governing motivating factor is, is it for us whether or not this will hinder or promote the gospel or whether or not my needs will be provided for? That's the conviction that I think we need to feel in last week's text, do I eat this meat? Do I drink this beer? Do I watch this movie? Do I do this thing of Christian liberty or don't I? Well, what is going to be the filter through which you're going to make that decision? And for Paul here, do I take advantage of this privilege, this quote unquote right? And it is a right. Paul had a right to get paid. Or don't I? And what will make the decision for us? What is the filter through which we make the decision? And the charge for us is to make that central thing, the kingdom of God and the promotion of the gospel. Let's pray. Father, we confess that we are people who labor so much of our time for bread that perishes. We, we confessed, even in our confession of sin this morning, that we overvalue the fleeting pleasures of this world. And they are fleeting. But they're, but they're so alluring. And so we ask your forgiveness and we pray that you would help us desire and long for and seek the bread that does not perish, the living bread. That you would help us seek first the kingdom of God. That you would help us love our neighbor and our brother. That you would give us such a hunger for the gospel that we'd be able to hold our rights very loosely. But this is difficult, Father. We confess that. We pray that you would strengthen us. Give us eyes to see opportunities. Help us to govern when it is right to take advantage of our rights and to benefit from them and when it's time to let them go and to suffer. We trust your Holy Spirit in this. Give us wisdom, we pray, for we ask this in Christ's name. Amen.